So last week we learned that Peter and John, through the help of the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus, uh, healed a man. He made a, they made a man walk that could not walk. In the name of Jesus Christ, they made him walk. After the people witnessed the miracle, Peter used the opportunity to preach a sermon, and the, context, uh, the content of the sermon was, through faith in Jesus, we could be made spiritually well. He didn't focus in on, oh, you could be physically well. He focused in on, you could be spiritually well. Peter ended the sermon with a challenge. He said, repent, change your mind about who Jesus is and trust in him. So today we're going to pick up in chapter four and we're going to see the response of the authorities to the healing and the, mess, the response they had to the, the man's healing, and also the response to the message that Peter preached, we're also going to see how the believers respond when the pressure was on from the authorities. So we're going to start off in, uh, in Acts 4, 1, verse 1. It says this, And they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So now what happened, this is the response from the leaders. They were annoyed at the message that Peter was preaching. They arrested Peter and John and threw them in jail. They didn't try them because it was already evening. So then it says this, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So now through this whole thing, you have a guy that gets healed, this miracle happens, Peter preaches a sermon, and if 3,000 wasn't enough in the first sermon he preached, 5,000 trusted in Christ at this point. So 5,000 people trusted in Jesus, so basically the rulers were getting a little nervous, right, okay? All of a sudden, now we have a movement here. We can have a riot on our hands if we keep Peter and John too long. We have to actually figure this out. So they took him in custody, they spent the night in jail, and this is what happened. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired them, by what power or by what name did you do this? So the authorities, all the heavy hitters convene and they get the next day is the bottom line is this. They asked, by what power and by what name was this done? Like, what's going on here, guys? At this point, you can only imagine how these heavy hitters, these authorities must have felt. There was basically an uprising of this new faith, and it was literally taking off to the point where we have almost 10,000 people that are believing and following these guys. They're following this Jesus that we already snuffed out. We already crucified Jesus. He rose from the grave, then he was around. People saw him, some of, some of us didn't, some of us did. And then he ascended into heaven. And now he, these followers who once scattered when we grabbed Jesus and crucified him, they're bold, they're preaching, they're going out and doing these things. And not only that, we gotta deal with this issue they miraculously healed a guy. We can't contend with this. What's going on here? So 10,000 strong about the church was at this time. So they were concerned. 
the authorities were concerned. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? So basically, then he goes on and says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So first the passage says that Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe this is descriptive of where Peter got his power from. Remember, at the day of Pentecost, that was when all the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down. So before, so in the early days of the church, this was a new thing. This was a new thing. If you were a good Jewish person, you knew that God rests his spirit on certain people. And when they kind of deviated, God pulled back his spirit. But now this new thing, all these believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. So first, Peter deals with the obvious. He says, are we being charged for a good deed? Like, what kind of people are you? Are we being charged for a good deed? You saw this guy outside the temple every time you came to worship begging for money. And we, through the power of Jesus in his name, through the Holy Spirit, healed him. Are we being charged for doing a good deed? And I believe that maybe Peter even said this to kind of point out the injustice that was going on. For all the people standing there, like these are the rulers, these are the authorities, these are the type of people that are ruling things right now. They're charging us or they're bringing us in because we healed somebody, we did a good deed. So he's pointing out the injustice that was happening. Second, Peter gives the answer, right? He gives the answer. This is through Jesus. He reminds them that Jesus was crucified by them. He rose from the dead. Do you see the theme in Peter's preaching? Okay, we're at the third time where he's preaching, and this isn't like a formal sermon as much as the other two were, but the, the third time in Acts, which he addressed the crowd, and he lays out the gospel so beautifully, right? He starts with sin. Jesus, whom you crucified. Okay, you crucified him. This is sin. Jesus died. Jesus rose. And now in the next verses, he preaches how all can receive salvation through Jesus. So next, Peter connects them to a prophecy in Psalm 118. Remember, when Peter preaches, what does he use? He uses scripture. He doesn't use his own ideas. He doesn't use his own experiences necessarily, even though those experiences are plugged in because he's living out the New Testament, right? But he uses scriptures. So in Psalm 118, 22, is actually, verse 11 actually quotes that. And it's, uh, it's right here. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Okay, this is interesting because, you know, Luke wrote Acts. But Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And if you remember, in Luke 20, verses 17 through 18, Jesus quotes, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. But then Jesus says, in Luke 20, verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. 
and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So what's this mean? What's this mean? Well, Jesus is the stone, and guess what? Those who fall on him are broken. Okay, that's us, right? Meaning, when you have admitted that you are a sinner, you're coming as a broken individual. And this is why a lot of people reject Christianity, reject Christ, because they won't admit, I need help. I am broken. Okay, so the person that's broken, that's willing to say, I need salvation. I can't do this on my own. I am helpless and hopeless. So I'm going to Jesus. That's why so many people, right, come to Christ when they're down and out. Like, I don't know where else to turn. I've tried self-help books. I've tried to go to a doctor. I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. And then finally, they're like, I've tried everything, and I'm broken. So that's what Jesus is referring to here. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. He's saying, you finally, when you come to the point in your life where you're willing to trust Jesus, you're saying, I am a broken person. I need to be fixed. I need salvation. I need Jesus to fix me. But interestingly enough, then it says, and when it falls on anyone, it'll crush him. What in the world does that mean? Well, Jesus is the stone, right? And the stone, Jesus, will actually judge every person. You know, people could be like, oh, I don't believe in that Jesus. And that. Well, that doesn't matter, right, when it comes to judgment. You can't be like, well, I didn't believe that. And then Jesus said, well, okay, uh, it's time for me to judge you. But you thought I was a fairy tale. So, yeah, that's how it is, okay? That's not how it is. Every person will stand face to face with Jesus. Either you trust him and accept his offer of salvation or you're judged. And that's what this is a reference to. The stone will crush. But who are the builders? Who are the builders? Well, the builders are the religious Jewish people, the ones in charge. And Psalm 8, 118 is being fulfilled right before Peter's eyes. That's what's happening. So the crucifixion and all that, they're rejecting Christ. Then he's, he's talking to these religious leaders, and they're saying, I don't want to have anything to do with this. He's saying, this, you guys are you're living out the prophecy that you've taught us for centuries in Psalm 118. You are the builders. You're the religious ones. You're the ones that are supposed to be teaching the people about the Lord. You're the one that's supposed to be leading people into a saving relationship with the Lord. You reject him, and you reject him. So then Peter preaches to them about salvation, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now this is where people today will have a question. You mean to tell me that in order to receive salvation, in order to go to heaven when you pass from this earth, the only way is through Jesus? You mean to tell me there's only one way? Have anybody ever asked you that before? Yeah. So here's what you say. The answer is, that's not what I'm saying. That's what Jesus is saying. Because in John 14, 6, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. 
He's not like, okay, well, if you were born somewhere else and uh, they have a different religious thing, as long as it kind of kind of coincides with us, if they don't have me in it, it's not that big of a deal because they're kind of doing stuff like that's similar to, to the stuff we're doing. So, you know, yeah, you can come in. No one. It's through Christ alone. People think that there's many ways, and they say that if we say that there's only one way, that is narrow. Well, guess what? Truth is narrow, right? Truth is, it has to be. There's only one truth to what you did this morning. You got out of bed, you went and did all your morning routine, and you got here. There's one truth. You can come in and somebody can ask you, what happened this morning? And you can make up a total lie, right? And only you would know the truth. But you told somebody a total lie. And they're like, okay, that's what they said. I'm going to believe them. Well, that's every other religion and philosophy of this world. It's made up either by people or it's really from the pit of hell. That's where it comes from. Okay, it's, it's designed to keep us from the one true way who is Jesus. And remember, this isn't me saying there's one way. This is Jesus saying there's one way. So if anybody pushes back on you, say, hey, listen, this is what the scriptures teach. This is what Jesus taught. Don't tell me that Jesus was a good teacher if you say, hey, listen, I don't believe Jesus was God, but I believe he was a really good teacher because that's popular, right? He was a good teacher, you know? I mean, like, he did a lot of good stuff. He's a liar if he's not the only way. Because he said that of himself. So we need to take him at his word. And that's why oftentimes when you see Jesus speak in the scriptures, in the gospels, he'll say something like this. Truly, truly, I say to you. Because he is the truth. He's the only way. And thankful for all of us, that the only way loves every person enough to lay down his life, to say, you're welcome. I love you. You're broken. Come to me. I want to fix you. I'm not going to argue with you. I love you. I want to save you. So we as believers have to remember that when we're telling other people about Jesus. I'm not telling you to win you to my line of thinking. I'm telling you because there is a God who loves you and wants to save you. He loves you more than any person that ever walked this earth, and he loves you more than you love yourself. He just wants to take hold of you and save you. So Peter says, there's a salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's see how the authorities respond. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So first they were surprised. Peter and John, really not religiously educated guys. They're kind of common guys. They weren't religiously educated in Judaism. Next, they realized, okay, these guys, we saw these guys. They spent time with Jesus. They were like his buds. You know, Peter, James, and John, like the song, they were up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? But the silver bullet for these guys right here was what happened in chapter 3. The healing of this guy. 
Like, okay, uneducated guys, but they spent time with Jesus. I don't know how we're going to deal with this healing thing, okay? Everybody saw it. Everybody knows what's going on. So they had nothing to say in opposition. Now, you and I don't have, like, a healing in our back pocket, right? But guess what? We do have our testimony. We do have our testimony, how we live out our faith each day. So when we speak, people are looking, right? They're always looking. They're always looking, okay? Try being a pastor. That's always a fun one. People are always looking. Oh, you're a pastor. It's like, listen, I'm a Christian first, okay? I have the same regard as you guys do, right? I should act the same way that every Christian should act. We're all called to a higher calling. So people should have nothing to say about us. There should be no handles, the scripture says, above reproach. So here's what happens. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in, anyone in this name. So basically officials had a private meeting. And, you know, there's kind of some, so Luke wrote this, right? He recorded this. So some have suggested, like, how in the world did Luke know what happened on, behind those closed doors? You ever think about that? When we're going through the narrative, how the heck did Luke know about this? Well, some theologians say that it's possible that Saul, who later became Paul, was there. So he later said, like, hey, guess what? <laughs> this is what happened there. Or it could have been any one of those men that possibly became a Christian later on kind of gave Luke the information. So Paul might have been there. It doesn't really matter. But the fact is, any one of those in attendance could have later trusted in Jesus and gave Luke the account. But the bottom line is this. They couldn't deny what happened. But they did not want this new teaching to spread. It threatened their traditions. It threatened what was going on. It threatened the whole culture. So they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So they ordered them to stop preaching. Now this is where Peter is going to set the stage for later on in Acts, in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, which we'll get to I don't know, in a couple of weeks, it's we must obey God rather than men, meaning believers do need to obey the governing authorities until they say to disobey God. You get that? We, as Christians, need to obey the governing authorities until they say disobey God. So in this case, if they listen to the authorities, they would be going against the mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Spreading, they would go, they would be going against their calling, and that would be disobedient. Now, for us today as believers, we we want to obey the laws that are put in place by the governing authorities. 
I mean, that, that's our call. Peter teaches this in 1 Peter. Paul teaches this in 1 Timothy and in Titus and in Romans 13. This is taught Christians should be law-abiding citizens. Now, the caveat, the caveat here is this. If the law forbids something that God commands us to do, we obey God rather than the law. Okay, we obey God rather than the law. Now, for the most part, we're really fortunate living in the United States, right? We're very fortunate in our country. Most of the laws of our country are in line with God's laws as far as what we as believers are allowed to do. What you got up this morning and drove in your car and walked through here and you get to freely worship together, this is our right as American citizens. And I am so thankful for that. But in other countries, they don't have those rights. Okay, it's called the underground church. They have to meet together in secret. It's illegal to have Bibles. That's why we as Christians can justify bringing Bibles to those countries and say, well, guess what? They're against God. Be, having a Bible is against the law, but that's against God, so we have to follow God. They need God's word. So that's how it works. We live in a great country where most of our religious freedoms are just that. They're freedoms. So Peter and John say, hey, listen, guys, we're going to keep preaching. Okay? Nobody's going to stop us. And this kind of opens up the can right, for the rest of Acts, because now as we go through Acts, we're going to see the persecution of that early church. So obviously those in charge didn't say, okay, we understand, guys. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're asking a lot of you. They didn't say that. This is what happened. So in verse 21, it says, And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because the people were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So they said, listen, guys, no, we don't want you to do this. But then in their backroom meeting, they were like, well, what are we going to do about it? Right? What are we going to do about it? It's kind of like the lack of law and order in many of our cities today. They're like, what are we going to do about it? Okay, That's what these leaders were doing. What are we going to do about this? All these people are behind them. The church at this point is almost 10,000 strong. If we take these guys and murder them, if we take these guys and put them in jail, we could have a serious issue on our hands. So at this point, they realize, what can we really do now? A lot of people are behind Peter and John. And we have this guy that was healed as a testimony. He's over 40 years old. Something greater is behind this. So Peter and John left. And they went and told everyone what happened and what the believers were up against. Okay, So this all happened. that They, they went back and reported to this fledgling church. So it says this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Then we find out how the rest of the believers responded. Now, this is so important for us as Christians, okay? Especially Christians in America. How we respond to the authorities and how we respond when the pressure is on tells us a lot about where we are spiritually. Because guess what? When they went to their friends, their friends could have been like, we're not going to take this. Are you kidding me? We're setting up a revolt. We're taking our freedom back. We're doing what we want. 
Let me ask you a question. For those of you who didn't read ahead, do you think that's how they responded? No, it's actually not. So the first thing they did was they prayed. They prayed. The Christians prayed. The first thing they did in their prayers was this. They remembered God is in control. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign means in control. The believers remembered, God, you're in control. Because they were confronted with the fact that the authorities were trying to control what was going to happen, they said, God, we know you're in control. You made everything, okay? You made the, the sea. I mean, it just, I don't know, like the fall is so beautiful, right? So, you know, going over to the ocean, uh, you know, seeing the ocean, um, seeing the sunset, seeing the sea life, seeing all that stuff. And like, I just can't get it out of my head how anybody can say, eh, it's all by chance, you know? Lucky shot, okay? How could that be, right? How could that be? And I know what I know from the scriptures, but you know, that's what these early believers were saying. Like, you made the heaven, the earth, the sea, everything in them. Now, when something negative comes your way or happens, something negative happens to you, it's good to be reminded that God is in control no matter what happens. Okay? Whatever you're dealing with now, I don't know what you're dealing with. A bunch of people here, everybody's dealing with something different. You just have to know and remember, God is in control. And if he has the power to do all this stuff, make the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it, I think that your problem, that your issue, and that what you're going through, God can take care of. Next, they remembered what God said. He said, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. This is a direct quote from Psalm 2. So for them, this was another aha moment when it comes to studying the scriptures. Okay, In this moment, the Jewish people would have heard the psalm read throughout their lives. And now it made sense. Why did this stuff all happen to Jesus? Well, the Gentiles raged against them. Okay, They plotted in vain that Pilate and Rome, they, they were delivered up by the Jewish. Jesus was delivered up by the Jewish people and the authorities to squash Jesus, right? So basically what they were remembering is, okay, God said this stuff's going to happen. Do you know what Jesus said about us as believers? There's going to be troubled times. Okay, there's going to be trouble. Don't ever think, don't ever think. And that's why we don't subscribe to a gospel that's preached. Like, if you believe in Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Has anybody experienced life like that? I don't think so. But when you tell people that and they believe that, they're like, well, I believe in Jesus. Everything's not okay. So this whole Jesus thing, I can't believe it anymore. No, you were lied to. Okay. Believe the truth. So they, then they're, when they're praying, when they're together as believers, they're like, man, this, this stuff, like, this is like real. This is what David was saying was going to happen. Like, everything was going to go against the Lord's anointed, which was Christ. 
So then they remembered God has a plan. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Jesus could not have been killed unless God the Father allowed it to happen. You always have to remember that. Jesus was the sacrifice. The sacrifice was God the Father saying, I'm allowing this to happen. That was the sacrifice. It's part of the plan. The once for all sacrifice of Christ. Now, whatever you're going through, you just have to remember, God has a plan. It might not be the plan that you were thinking. It might not be the plan that you like at this time. But God has a plan. Then... They asked for continued opportunities. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and perform through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now they knew the authorities didn't want them to keep preaching, so they asked for open opportunities. Of those opportunities, signs and wonders were going to happen. We're going to see that. But think about this for a second. Okay, the early persecuted church, right? They, they prayed for opportunities to tell other people about Jesus. They weren't like, pray that we get to do whatever we want. Okay, pray that we have our religious freedom. They didn't pray for that. Okay, that's an American church prayer, right? The early church prayer is, this message needs to get out. Don't shut us up. Don't allow them to shut us up. Make sure that we still have opportunities to get this message out. Because guess what? People's souls are at stake. I can't stress that enough to you. People's souls are at stake. Every single day when you're out and about, at work, at school, wherever it is, people around you, their souls are at stake. The goal is not to get them to church. The goal is for them to trust in Jesus. The goal is for them to trust in Jesus. So for us today, when we pray, since we know God is in control, we can study what his word says, so we know he has a plan, we ask for opportunities to live out our faith in Jesus no matter what comes our way. Whether it's persecution, whether it's financial problems, whether it's relational problems, whether it's health problems, our goal is, hey, listen, I want to make known who Jesus is so people can experience what I've experienced, which is salvation through him. So in a special way, God comforted them through the Holy Spirit. Check this out. It says this, And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Again, we have this term filled with the Holy Spirit, descriptive of the believers' lives that trust in Jesus. Think about this fledgling church. They didn't have the New Testament to look at. So they're praying this stuff. They're plucking out these Old Testament prophecies and they're like, okay, this is what we should be doing. The authorities are coming up against us. But you know what? When authorities come up against you, right, what, what happens? You start to question, right? Am I, am 
I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this, right? Any, anybody above you comes against you. You're, what am I doing? And then here, these believers are together, and there's this little holy earthquake. I can't explain it. I can't explain that. But that's what's happening. There was this, like, sense, this shaking of the place that they were in. Like, witnessing the healing them witnessing this tremor was validation for the believers that God was with them, that God was with them. So guess what they did? They continue, continued to go out and tell other people about Jesus. You and I, we have God's word. We're confident that we know the mission that we're called to. Let's go and tell other people what Jesus has done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful for this passage. I'm thankful for the book of Acts, such an encouraging and inspiring book to study. Thankful for those early believers and their boldness and how they were so selfless. They were so selfless to, to realize that getting the message out was of primary importance, not their own personal freedoms or anything else that was going on in that structure at that time. So I pray, Lord, for us. I pray that we'll be encouraged and inspired to be bold and go and tell others about who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. You may rise.